morning, church. Man, this makes me sound good. I got one of them deep voices. That's amazing. It's a joy to be with you guys. And, uh, man, thank you for this moment. And just, uh, Brother Matt, thank you always. Anytime I come and hang out with you guys, you guys always bring it when it comes to uh, our time of worship through music. And uh, hopefully I can bring it when it comes to our time of worship through sharing the Word of God. And, uh, and just uh, to the Williams family and Aiden, we just, uh, man, these people love you. They're praying for you. I'm just agreeing with them for you, for healing, and, uh, and just to experience God's fullness and grace in a way that would even surprise you in the coming days and weeks and months as you travel down this journey. And church, just continue to applaud you for your commitment to prayer that you're going out to pray, well, the area where these kids will be going to school. That's huge. Georgia Baptist is actually starting off a, a, a prayer and fasting week. Uh, it initially begins today for some, but primarily Monday through next Sunday. Uh, Georgia Baptist all around Georgia uh, will be praying and fasting. And so I encourage you guys, if you have a heart towards prayer and fasting, uh, to go on gabaptist.org and look at our week of prayer that we have coming up and see how you can engage that and pray, because prayer is what changes things. It really is. Uh, prayer is where we connect with God, and God connects with us, and we hear Him more clearly after our times of prayer. And so uh, I'm just grateful to be in a church uh, that's a praying church, and so excited to be with you guys this morning. Now, your pastor, when he called me on Thursday and said, hey, brother, uh, we've got a situation in our church. Will you pray? Was his first words. I said, absolutely, Brother Matt. He said, secondly, could you come Sunday? I said, let me look real quick and pulled over and looked at the calendar and said, we got some, we got some time in the morning we can give you. And so he said, might need you there. So, so, so go ahead and pencil me in. I said, well. And so as the conversation continued, he, he said, now, last time you were here, you went a little short. You went a little short. He said, I don't go short, so I need you to stretch it out a little bit. He said, preach two sermons if you have to. And then he texted me uh, uh, last night and said, oh, by the way, thank you again for coming, and uh, I'll have to get you a little money down the road, in his words, uh, uh, for, the, for your day with the church. I said, man, you know, brother, don't worry about that. He said, and, and just to make sure that you preach a little longer, I'm going to hold your money until we talk down the road. And so I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is I'm going to have to preach two sermons this morning to get the time in. The good news is, someone at the door heard this story and said, I tell you what, brother, I got a $100 bill right here if you'll tighten it up. And so, I'm just kidding, your pastor. Amen. Well, I say amen and we go have a party. I'm just saying. The, uh, no, you know me. I just, I, I just try to be real with you guys, and uh, I love you guys, and I'm grateful to be one of your state missionaries. I'm grateful for your pastor, who I know loves the Lord and loves you guys, and, and just for this church. So you guys are a light into this community, and you're constantly putting the gospel into this community in ways that are just exciting and encouraging. So just blessings on you. And again, thank you for letting me be your state missionary and pastoral wellness for Southeast and East Central, and so I serve in that role. Today, if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, I, I like whenever I get somewhere, the Lord's laid a message on my heart uh, that I realize that the message that the Lord has given me seems to be a message that you guys are already in the flow of as you uh, had our time of worship through music this morning. It, it reminds me, again, of the importance of having healthy biblical worship. Healthy biblical worship is where we're going this morning. You see, worship is really twofold. Worship is to glorify God and to inspire the body of Christ. Worship is really designed to glorify God, first and foremost, but it's then to inspire us, the body of Christ. 
And so when we gather together privately in our corporate prayer, our prayer times privately or our corporate times of worship, then, then we're to find that inspiration. And you and I know we're coming out of a season of, of virus and, and the effects thereof that's been very challenging on our churches and even still challenging today. Some are still at home uh, uh, spending time worshiping with their families online with you as a body of Christ. And, and those are challenging times. And so I want to just remind us, I needed this reminder from the Scriptures about healthy biblical worship because I, like you, went through this whole time of separation and isolation and, and, and not being able to gather corporately as the body of Christ and where I worship in Savannah. And, and at times it was just really difficult. And, and even now it's still somewhat difficult. But I want to share with you guys again that, that God really has a good word for us, I think, out of Isaiah chapter 6 about what it means to have healthy biblical worship. You know, years ago, back in the, I'm a child of the, uh, I was born in the 60s and grew up in the 70s and survived the 80s and still going on. And, and, and as I was growing up, I was a big fan of, of, of astronauts and the Apollo uh, uh, rockets and missions and things like that. And so I remember when, when, when there would be a launch, we'd go outside just hoping we could see something. While I was raised in the foothills of the Carolinas, I can just tell you, you can't see a spaceship in the foothills of the Carolinas when it takes off in Cape Canaveral. But now we live in Savannah. We live on the edge of Savannah where we've got a marsh not far from our house. And so when they launched the rockets in Canaveral now, which they did just this week, SpaceX launched a uh, rocket to Mars. You know what? You can go out there and if it's going which direction at the right time of day, you can actually see that rocket traveling into the wild blue yonders. And even as a child and even now, I think about looking into the heavens and I would look at the blue sky or look at the rocket or whatever it was I was looking at, but it wouldn't take me long to look beyond that knowing that there's a God of all creation that has created all that we see. Reminds me of worship because He is the God of all creation. It's interesting as I was thinking about watching that, it took me back to a, a passage and a theme that you guys are all familiar with. July 20th, 1969, Jim Lovell spoke these words, Houston, we have... A problem made a movie and it was great I think it was good and demonstrated all the challenges Houston we had a problem not long after that interesting a professor of economics who was a believer said this church we have a problem and here was this quote Gordon Dow said this we have a problem in American church today, and this is back in the 70s. He said, we are growing to worship our work. We're working hard at working with our play. But the saddest thing is that we're playing at our worship. In other words, when it comes to our worship and devotion and glorifying God in our lives individually and as a group, as the body of Christ, the church, Gordon said, even in the 70s, we're losing ground. We're not worshiping like we ought to be worshiping biblically in such a way that every time we gather, whether it's privately in our devotional times or it's corporately as a body of Christ, that our full attention is on Him. Did you read the words as you sang the words this morning as we were worshiping together corporately here? The God of all creation. You saw how those words were pointing us back towards Himself, which is in essence what worship is about. Glorifying God, inspiring us as the body of Christ, as believers. And that causes me and 
leads me to talk about biblical worship out of this passage in Isaiah chapter 6. This is a wonderful passage. I love it. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says, In the year that King Uzziah died, comma, anytime you see a comma in the scriptures, you need to pause, take a breath. There was a statement made. That could be the very statement that you need this morning. I was at a funeral a few weeks ago of a young lady not far from here who passed from cancer. Some of you would know her if I mentioned her name. And what was said at that funeral was, if God places a comma, do not place a period in God's journey and work in your life. Do you get that, church? If God has a comma, don't try to place a period. Brother, I heard you up here, Matt, when you said, we want to fix things. We want things as they were. But whenever God throws a comma into our life, we need to step back and say, okay, God, what is this pause for? Church, this pause is for us to lift our eyes towards Him and glorify Him and say, you are the God of all creation. Let me adore you. Let me love you. Let me hear from you. Give me strength for what is following this comma in my life. Whatever that may be. You see, I love this. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lifted up on the throne, high and filled up His train. The robe filled the temple. Above it were the seraphims, and each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other, said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5, Isaiah said, So I said, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And when he touched my mouth, he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I'm, I'm excited today, in my heart, in my soul, for this word to this church because I just sense, God, your presence here for someone, for the group as a whole, Lord, that you want to speak a word about how important it is for us, Lord, to, as, as your creation to lift our eyes into heaven beyond the blue skies, beyond technology of man, Lord, into the, into the, the deep heavens because you are the God of all creation, the one who gave us Jesus that we may be forgiven of our sin. Lord, speak to me and speak to us a fresh word about our times we call worship so that we may look within the Scriptures and see that our worship is healthy and it's biblical and it brings glory to You, inspires us as believers in the body of Christ, the church. Oh Lord, we continually pray for Aidan and his family, Pastor Matt and his family as he's away, this church as it carries on the gospel. In the meantime, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I believe the Lord has a strong word for us today because it's, it's been a good word every time. I love Isaiah 55 says that God's word never returns void. When the word of God is read or sung or preached or prayed, it will carry out a purpose in His plan. I love this at the very beginning, verse 1. It says, in, in it, I, the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah had had his eyes on an earthly king, on things around him. Now scholars tell us that King Uzziah could have been a relative of Isaiah, maybe a cousin, someone fairly close to him. If that's the case, he was able to view the king in a way that only a relative could. You know how it is when you've got relatives that are somebody, they're somewhere, and you go to visit them and you kind of get the backstage tour because there's somebody in this corporation or this organization or, or something going on, an event. It's kind of cool to be a part of that. Well, Isaiah had had his eyes on King Uzziah because, see, King Uzziah had been a good king. It's amazing because King Uzziah had been a good king because he had been a faithful king. He became king when he was 16 years old. And it says that he walked in the ways of his father. And he was a good king for 52 years. Uzziah served the Lord. The irony of this event and this story of King Uzziah is this. Uzziah served the Lord 52 years, but at some point in time, for whatever reason, his heart grew funny, cold, or indifferent. I don't know what really happened on those moments. But instead of allowing the priest to go in and burn incense in the temple to worship God, he took the incense to himself. He went into the temple and he burnt the incense, which God said he was not to do. Disobedience. An act of disobedience. The priests were worried and concerned. They went in and told King Uzziah, you, you must come out of there, king. And he got angry at the priest for telling him the truth. And when he got angry, leprosy popped out all over him. And he would die of that leprosy. A sad thing in that Second Chronicles chapter tells us that he never again worshipped in the house of the Lord for his disobedience. Now this morning, you and I may think, that is harsh, God. That is harsh. A man who serves you faithfully 52 years and, and he had a moment, he lost his cool, whatever went on. I'm not here to discuss really that issue. It's just a reality of the Scriptures, of what's been spoken to us. And God is just, so therefore I must yield to that. But as a result of that, he died. So Isaiah, looking at this king, thinking about how he had died with leprosy, no longer worshiping the Lord, in that moment as he was thinking about that king, and he's before God in a time of private worship, he sees suddenly his eyes are moved upwards towards heaven. And he sees the King of kings, the Lord of glory. And then when he sees the real king, the King of kings, the Lord, it said suddenly all this began to transpire. Around him were the seraphims flying, covering their face and their feet, and they were, they were flying and they were crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy. This worship experience occurs. The doorposts begin to shake. The room begin to fill with smoke. I mean, this was a moment in time and experience. 
Isaiah. He saw the Lord clearly. Foster says this about when we see God clearly. When we see God clearly, we then see ourselves truthfully. Did you get that, church? When we see God clearly, we see ourselves truthfully. Brother Man, it was May 1981. I was a young man in the upstate of the Carolinas. And I was in the balcony of the church. I'd already been involved in church for a while because I was dating a young lady who was involved with church. And her rule was, hey, if you want to date me, you got to go to church. I'm like, hey, I want to date you. I'll go to church. As simple as that. Missionary dating. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend it. It worked out for me, but I don't recommend it. Scripture talks about that. But as I was in the balcony, and we were beginning this revival service, and I was lost without Jesus going to hell. I was in church. I was a decent enough guy, but I was lost without Jesus going to hell. This revival started. The worship started. And I got caught up in a moment. And for the first time, I think, in my life at the age of 20, I really saw who God was. And when I saw who God was, I saw what I wasn't, and I bolted from the balcony. I didn't rather just stand up and say, I'll be back in a minute. I bolted from the balcony, ran down the balcony, and you could, I mean, people could hear this coming. I didn't know any better. I wasn't raised in church, brother man. I didn't know you were supposed to <laughs> wait to the invitation. This is before the, it all got going. But you know what? I saw God. I saw my lostness. I saw hell. And I said, no. I ran down, ran to the altar, and I said, save me. And church, like the song said, he saved me, changed me forever. And I'm his his beloved. I am far from perfect. I'm a sinner just like you, saved by His grace. So in that moment of worship, I saw God, I saw myself, and I knew that I needed Jesus in that moment years ago. You see, when we see Him, when we begin to adore Him, whoever we may be, there's this yearning to worship, to honor, to magnify, to bless. We don't want anything we don't seek anything. We don't focus on anything but Him. And we get a true picture. When Isaiah saw the true King of kings and Lord of lords, and he saw this worshiping, this adoration occurring with the seraphims to the one true God, he felt this rumbling. He saw this smoke. Verse 5 says he cried out, Woe is me, I'm undone. That was my experience. Woe is me. I'm undone. You see, church, all of us, when we see God for who He is, we see who we are truthfully. And truthfully, apart from Jesus, we're undone. And as believers walking with Jesus, if we're walking in disobedience, we're walking back into a place that's not designed for us. It's not who we're supposed to be in Christ. I find it all through the Scriptures. People who walk away from the Lord at a time in their life in disobedience. And then they get a glimpse of God again as a believer, which we should do. And that's the wonderful thing about gathering is the church every week or a couple of times a week. It's a good thing about reading the Word of God every day or a couple of times during the day if you're some. Is that when we gather with the Word and we gather together, we can hear God speak about our lives as we look to who He is, who we may or may not be. 
King David said this when he saw the Lord, his experience like Isaiah, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly in my iniquities, and cleanse me from my sin. See, when we see God for who He is, and we see ourselves truthfully for where we are, it leads us to confession that leads us to repentance. When you have true biblical worship encounter with God, it will move you to a point of confession. It will move you to a point of repentance if you're willing. Because our will is still part of that process. That's what happened with David. And David used three words, transgressions, iniquity, and sin. In other words, David said, my will has become rebellious. Have you ever been rebellious towards anyone? That means someone over here saying, this is what I'd like for you to do, brother. And you say, no. And you walk away. That's rebellion. When someone's saying, this is what I need you to do, and you say, no, I'm going to go my way. That's rebellion. David said, I was rebellious. And, and then not only that, he says, not only that, but wash me thoroughly my iniquity. My iniquity has to do with my character. Where at some point in time, my character was trustworthy, dependable, something that reflected the character of God. It changes. You see, when I'm walking with the Lord, I'm a great state missionary. When I'm walking with the Lord, I'm a great husband. When I'm walking with the Lord, I'm a great father. When I'm walking with the Lord, I'm a great friend. When I'm walking with the Lord, I'm a great fishing partner. But when I'm not walking with the Lord as a believer in disobedience that I haven't dealt with in my life, all these things get shaky. Because Christ is not the center of my life. I began out of balance. Yesterday, we attempted to paddleboard. Anybody ever attempted to paddleboard? I bought my wife a paddleboard. And, uh, and so we went out. I didn't think about tide going in and out. I didn't think about the winds blowing 20 miles an hour. I just said, good luck, baby. <laughs> so she jumped on the paddleboard. She's a tough nut. And, and she did well, but we noticed something. The tide was pushing her further and further away from where we were trying to go. And the wind was blowing her even further away from where we were trying to go. And so me and my son and his fiance and my wife were all together, and it was no longer a fun day of kayak and paddleboard. It was a rescue. <laughs> Let's go rescue mom. And then, you know, and then I said, who's going to rescue me when she gets to shore? Because I put her on a paddleboard, you know, tide going out and wind blowing hard. You know, it's interesting. It's the same way. It's the same way when you and I find ourselves in a situation that, that's, that's against us, and we can't overcome it. That's what happens to us when we're, we're not walking with the Lord. The things of this world, a current, a wind, uh, social media, a negative friend, can push us off of where we're supposed to go in Jesus. He can discourage us. And that's what David is saying here. My character changed. I become unstable. And then last he said, my sin, the goals, the direction I missed. And so we jump back to Isaiah. As we jump back to Isaiah, as we see God for who he is, it takes us to a place where we can see ourselves, realize we need to confess, realize we need to repent. That's what Isaiah said, woe to me. And not only that, he didn't say, I am a man of unclean lips. 
And listen to this, because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, it was not just privately he was confessing his sin, but now he's saying, Lord, corporately, look at us. We're not doing so well as a whole. And that's those two elements of worship. Worship is private. It's your quiet times before the Lord every day is your worship. And then worship is corporate. It's as you gather two or three or more together to worship the Lord through song, through preaching, through praying, through giving, through serving, all these things. So there's both a personal and there's a, both a corporate element. There's a good verse for us this day, especially as we think about prayer in the coming week and you praying with the schools today. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, who are called by name, shall humble themselves, repent, turn, all these things, then I'm going to heal their land. It reminds us that there's a corporate element. When the church comes together, as much as the family of Aden and that family loved Jesus and are praying like no one's business for healing and help and encouragement, that's good. And when the body of Christ comes around them and prays along with them and agrees with them, that's better. Because that's how God has put it together. The individual and the corporate, and they come together as the body of Christ. That's how we stand in difficult days and moments that come up in all the blue that doesn't make any sense to us. You see, we adore God. We see Him for who He is. We see ourselves and realize that we're undone apart from Jesus. And then as a believer, sometimes we'll allow sin back in our life and we need to, 1 John 1, 9 it, as we say, confess our sin. And He's just to cleanse and forgive us of our sin. All unrighteousness. It's important that we do that. I shared an illustration. I thought about these kids. I thought about this. And I shared this a while, a couple times uh, in my life. And I love it. But it just reminds me a picture of God's love in this. God's just not up here saying, I'm God, I'm everything, and you're not. He is God in everything. But He loves us with an amazing love, church. Amen? He loves us with an amazing love. His mercies are renewed each day. I'm grateful for that. His 1 John 1, 9 verse reminds me I come every day and confess sin, and I'm grateful for that. He loves us. And here's a picture of God's love. A friend of mine was a pastor in South Carolina, and every Sunday afternoon he'd come, and he'd be getting ready for Sunday night service. This is years ago when his girls were little, and mom would cook homemade cookies, and she'd put them in a jar, and she'd say, now girls, no cookies to after church. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, he was getting his sermon ready for Sunday night, and all of a sudden he heard a chair slide across the kitchen floor. And then he heard this clunk, clunk, clang onto the plate, and he could hear something was going on, and then he heard this. Um, um, he says, Brittany, are you eating cookies? Clank, clank of the jar, chair slides back, and little feet running down the hall, and then he hears the water in the bathroom start running, full blast. And he's walking back there, and he can see her, and she's just washing her hands as quick as she can, because they were chocolate chip cookies, and she's getting the chocolate off her hands. He waits a minute and turns the water off, and she says, he walks around and says, Brittany, you eating mama's cookies? She goes, no, daddy, look, got no chocolate. No, daddy. He said, Brittany, I love you. He said, I, she said, I love you too, daddy. He said, come here. And he grabbed her up, hugged her tight, hugged her real tight. He said, you know how much I love you? You love me a lot, Daddy. He said, I sure do. And then he turned her around to the mirror, and she had chocolate all around her mouth. <laughs> she was so concerned to get the chocolate off her hands, she forgot about her mouth. 
He said, now, Brittany, did you eat any of those chocolate chip cookies? Yeah, Daddy. Okay. Well, let's ask the Lord to forgive us for that. Yeah, Daddy. Dear Jesus, forgive me for eating those cookies Mama told me not to. Amen. Amen. That's good, Brittany. You know, God loves you like I love you. He actually loves you more. He said, I know, Daddy. He said, how about we go get some cookies? And into the kitchen they went and ate cookies without guilt. That's God's love. He's not a God who will turn away when we're walking in sin, church. He'll come figure out what's going on. But He will do it in a loving way, compassionate way, a firm way. Because His goal is not to put us down. His goal is to lift us up and to put us back in a place that's healthy for our life to go forward in a healthy way. You see, we see God for who He is. It causes us to confess, repent, to turn. We respond to that, and that's forgiveness. Verses 6 and 7 says, Then one of the seraphims flew, having a live coal in his hand, would have taken with the tongs off the altar. And when he touched my mouth, he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. Thinking about those verses, here's something that's true. When it comes to forgiveness, God is king of forgiveness. And church, the strange thing is sometimes you and I will try to keep from God forgiving us because we won't forgive ourselves and we won't yield to His forgiveness. He wants to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, put us back in a right relationship close to Him so we can hear His voice clearly in the work He's called us to do. Forgiveness. Forgiveness can be difficult. I know in my life I became a Christian at 20, but I had relationships even within my close family that were not healthy relationships. And it took me years to forgive people. It was difficult. It's painful because forgiveness means dealing with things honestly. Confessing to the Lord sin. But it's necessary to keep a clear and open relationship with the Lord. And a clear and open relationship with one another. It's important. I know I share a lot of stories, but it helps me to remind issues and thoughts in the scriptures. And one of my share comes from the same state that I grew up in. And it was a friend of mine I met in college, and, and, and she would uh, later become a Miss South Carolina and later a runner from Miss USA. But the story uh, really revolves around her sister Sherry. When Sherry was about 17 years old, uh, she was kidnapped at the end of her road by the mailbox. And this kidnapper, who would become known as a serial killer in the early days, of the 80s, uh, thought it was this girl that I know. And he had been stalking her, calling her, sending letters to her, and, and he would appear, apparently even during these times when she was uh, in pageants and things, and it was really a, a very scary time. But when he saw her sister from a distance, he thought it was the girl in the pageants. Grabbed her, took her, and when he found out it wasn't her, he was furious. So basically he told her sister at 17, Listen, I'm so angry, but I'm going to give you a chance to at least say a few last words to your family before I take your life. So he had her write out her last will and testament at 17. I can't even envision that. And, and what struck me amazing when I was talking to her sister, Dawn, was she said the verse, Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. Wait a minute, I don't see how in the world this is going to work. 
according to your purpose. This is not working for our family. And yet somehow she wrote that and then talked about forgiveness. And then he took her life. It's a, an amazing story, and you can, if you want more, I'll be glad to give you names and a place where you can go and read what God has done through the years with all of that. But when I think about forgiveness, I think about how Dawn had to forgive this person, and not only her, but her family. And in conversations with her, and I've seen her in interviews and giving testimonies at churches and in concerts that she does, it's, it's just sharing how it took time. But she was able to forgive because God had forgiven her much. We may not be in the, in, in anywhere near the kind of a person who would take another life of another person, but we're sinners in need of a Savior and forgiveness. You see, when we see God for who He is, it moves us to a place of confession and repentance if we're willing. God does not force that upon us. That's our choice in the matter. But then He moves us to a place if we do confess, repent, of receiving forgiveness, which changes us, radically changes us. And it then, in church, this is key, it then prepares us to do verse 8. I also heard the voice of the Lord say, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. You see, forgiveness moves us to obedience. Because when we're forgiven, we're in right standing with the Father. We're close to Him and we can hear Him. There have been times in my life where I want to be close enough to God that He could reach me if I started drowning, but not so close that I would hear Him if He began to speak in a gentle voice. I'm just being honest and transparent. We get to those places. It's not a healthy place to live as a believer, church. It's not a place for a church to live. We've got to embrace God fully. We've got to listen to Him clearly and closely. So that when He speaks, that we move in obedience in ways that then we follow whatever He's calling us to do. As I share this message, and I know there's been some heavy parts to this, but it's just where my heart has been, is I've been working through my private times of worship with the Lord. And I've been working through these chaotic times of corporate worship as the body of Christ with my church or with other churches around the state. We need a good, healthy, biblical understanding of worship which means that when we see Him, we change. And when we change, we're forgiven. And when we're forgiven, we hear. And when we hear, we obey the voice of the Lord. You see, healthy biblical worship is inhaling God's Word. It really is. And exhaling a confession of our hearts, which is praise and obedience. I'm convinced that God's going to take... Matt and I were talking... These are some challenging times for the body of Christ like never before in some ways. But I am convinced that God is, is, is bringing the remnant of the church together in a way like maybe never before. For us to have to depend on one another like we haven't had to depend on another. For us to have to look outside the ways that we've done things in the past and do them a little differently. Same message, different methods. So that the light of the gospel can be brighter maybe than ever before in our nation, in our world. You see... God didn't just let this happen. He's the God of all creation. Nothing surprises Him. Nothing overwhelms Him. He's got a plan and a purpose. As Robert Anderson used to say, when God allows something like this, He's going somewhere. This is not an accident. This is not a mistake. This is not, oh my, what happened? 
God's going somewhere. Now here's the question Rob would always ask us, and he'd point his finger and look at us real sternly and say, Brother, sister, are you willing to go where God wants to take you? That's the question. Now here's the interesting thing in Isaiah, this story, if you know it, you read the Scriptures. Isaiah said, Here my Lord, send me. And the Lord said, All right. Here's to Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. He said, uh, okay, keep on hearing that these people will not understand. Keep on seeing they do not perceive. Make the hearts of the people. In other words, Isaiah, I'm going to send you to a place that no one's going to give a hoot about you. No one's going to care about your message. No one's really going to respond in a way that you're expecting as a prophet of God. But it doesn't matter. Your obedience to me, your faithfulness to me is what I want above all things. I want your heart. I want our relationship to be close so that when I speak, you hear and respond. Church, that's what God wants for us. This morning, that's what He wants for me. That's what He wants for us. And that's where, when we talk about healthy biblical worship, what happens in healthy biblical worship is there's a response. So this morning, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Now, we're in a little different setting, so I'm going to let you respond right where you are. I'll be down front after this time. There are other men in this church who can certainly have conversation and prayer with you. And uh, we're here if you need us. But God's there where you are. And it's really simple. Anytime an invitation is given, it's really simple. It's just, do you know Jesus as Savior and Lord? That's where it all begins. And if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, it's, it's simple then to say, are you living for Him, living the Lordship of Christ out in your life daily? In His Word, praying, seeking Him every day. And if not... That may be where you need to have conversation. The other thing is, is God calling you for something? Church, we haven't challenged the church in a long time to say, Lord, are you calling me to preach? Are you calling me to be a missionary? Are you calling me to be a doctor in some other country? Are you calling me to be a teacher in a county that's so very difficult? In other words, we've stepped away from the calling and sense of calling in so many ways. And so that's, that's the third part of this. Is God calling you this morning to something outside of his, your daily walk with Him? Is He calling you to an ministry opportunity for your life? That's the invitation this morning as we pray. Father, thank You for Your love and grace. God, thank You for Your Word. I pray that the things I've shared that have helped, Father, would deepen and anything that I've shared that may hinder, take away. So that we hear clearly your Holy Spirit and your word most. Lord, speak to us, we pray. Hold us tight, we pray. Let us see you, we pray, so that we can respond in a way that we need to in light of who we really are. God, again, thank you for your grace and mercy and forgiveness that's renewed every day. And as believers, we can yield to that. But Lord, we pray, speak to us in this moment of time. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matt, could we have just a little music? We could do that. And I'm going to be down front. If someone would like to come and pray or someone would like to uh, come speak, uh, I can do that. Otherwise, just sit there and just spend some time praying for those who the Lord may be stirring.